Chapter 2 of Your Pay Envelope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Your Pay Envelope by John Richard Meader. Chapter 2 What Socialism Is and Isn't. Dear Mr. Smith, before beginning our investigation of socialism, we must define our subject. To talk intelligently about socialism, I must first know that you understand what socialism is and what it isn't. You may say that the soapbox orator has made all this very clear to you, but you mustn't be too certain about that. The soapbox orator may know what socialism really is and what it proposes to accomplish, or he may not. I have known soapbox orators who knew so little about socialism as to contend that it was nothing more than a political movement which proposed to institute some much-needed reforms along purely economic lines. And there are other soapbox orators who, while fully qualified to tell you all about socialism, wouldn't dream of doing it for fear of frightening you. It may be true that all socialists agree to some extent upon a few basic principles, but they disagree about so many things that it is almost impossible to pin them down to anything definite. If a socialist is cornered in an argument, he will try to elude you by asserting that socialists are not agreed upon the answer to the question you have asked, or that the issue is purely a matter of private opinion. Have you noticed how cleverly socialists can do this? A socialist agitator is out on a still hunt for converts. He meets John Jones and asks him why he does not join the Socialist Party. No, says John, I will not join the Socialist Party because it stands for industrial unionism and I believe in the policy of the American Federation of Labor. That's all right, replies the socialist agitator. There are plenty of prominent socialists who are enthusiastic members of the AF of L and he reels off the names of a dozen or more. Of course, John Jones is persuaded that he was mistaken in his opinion of the Socialist Party, and he joins. Going a block or two further, the Socialist agitator meets Bill Brown and asks him why he does not carry a red card. Bill replies that he is opposed to the Socialist Party because of its friendliness for the AF of L. I am opposed to violence, but I am an industrial unionist, he asserts, and shall have nothing to do with an organization that stands for craft unionism. What does the socialist agitator do? From his pocket, he extracts a pamphlet written by Eugene V. Debs, in which Mr. Debs expounds the doctrines of industrial unionism and shows that it is impossible for a socialist to be a conscientious craft unionist. So, realizing that, as socialism's foremost advocate, Eugene V. Debs ought to know what socialism means, Bill Brown signs up. A few moments later, our socialist agitator comes face to face with Joe Black. Come, Joe, he says as he grasps his hand. You are a good radical. Why aren't you in the socialist party? But Joe shakes his head. Not for mine, he asserts emphatically. I want nothing to do with a party that is opposed to direct action. How is the worker to get what he wants unless he takes it? I believe in the revolution, but not in the milk and water kind of revolution the Socialist Party preaches. 
ah that's where you are mistaken joe replies the socialist agitator why some of our leading socialists believe just exactly as you do here and the agitator draws from his pocket a copy of the haywood bond pamphlet on industrial unionism take this with you and read it it will show you how we socialists stand on the question of industrial revolution so joe black lines up too i might continue in this strain indefinitely for there is scarcely a question at issue upon which socialists do not disagree so widely than those who preach socialism can manage to be all things to all people but you ask what does socialism mean let me answer your question by first telling you what socialism does not mean in this way we shall more quickly get to the real meaning of the term i have met socialists who told me that socialism means absolutely nothing but the promotion of a reform program that it means shorter hours and better pay the elimination of child labor the government ownership of interstate industry the municipal ownership of municipal utilities and so on if you read the program of immediate demands in the socialist platform you may get the idea that this definition of socialism is a correct one but you would be mistaken the immediate demands of the socialist party are not socialism and no real socialist pretends that they are indeed in the platform of 1908 the socialists themselves repudiated this idea let me quote the closing paragraph of this program quote, such measures of relief as we may be able to force from capitalism are but a preparation of the workers to seize the whole power of government in order that they may thereby lay hold of the whole system of industry and thus come to their rightful inheritance End quote. think the matter over calmly john measures of relief that are nothing more than preparations for an object cannot by any possibility be that object itself can they then too there are plenty of socialists who have not the slightest use for the program of immediate demands the socialist party has found these demands useful in persuading people to vote for its candidates and for this reason it goes right on talking about immediate demands as if these sops to social reform were simon pure socialism the absurdity of this position is well pointed out by h g wells Quote, you cannot change the world and at the same time not change the world he says you will find socialists about or at any rate those calling themselves socialists who will pretend that this is not so who will assure you that some odd little jobbing about municipal gas and water is socialism you might as well call a gas jet in the lobby of a meeting-house the glory of god in heaven End quote if anybody should tell you that h g wells is merely one socialist out of many millions and that he does not know what he is talking about ask him if wilhelm liebknecht knew his socialism any better if your socialist is honest he will have to admit that wilhelm liebknecht knew what he was talking about whether wells does or not assuming this to be true listen to what liebknecht says Quote, the laboring class is exploited and oppressed by the capitalist class and effectual reforms which will put an end to class government and class exploitation are impossible 
quoted by Ijaya in Weekly People, June 17, 1911. If your socialist still insists that Liebknecht is not sufficiently good authority, you can refer him to Karl Marx himself, for it was he who said, quote, The working class ought not to exaggerate to themselves the ultimate working of these everyday struggles. They ought not to forget that they are fighting with effects, that they are retarding the downward movement, but not changing its direction, that they are applying palliatives, not curing the malady. Instead of the conservative motto, a fair day's work for a fair day's wage, they ought to inscribe on their banners the revolutionary watchword, abolish the wage system, end quote, quoted in Appeal to Reason. In brief, to quote Liebknecht again, the revolt, May 6, 1911, pity for poverty, enthusiasm for equality and freedom, recognition of social injustice and the desire to remove it, condemnation of wealth, and respect for poverty, end quote. Government ownership or municipal ownership, an agitation for a shorter workday, the demand for more equitable wage, an extension of the suffrage, not one nor all of these things is socialism. And if not, what is socialism? Socialism is an indictment of the whole system of modern civilization, a plan to overthrow it, and a scheme to set up in its place a system of society in which all means of production, distribution, and exchange shall be owned collectively and operated collectively. To attain this end, to effect the overthrow of all existing institutions, that the more perfect institutions of socialism may take their place, Socialists preach a gospel of class consciousness by which they hope to incite so strong a feeling of class hatred in the heart of the worker that he will rise in revolt against his employer and take from him all the means of production and distribution. By the peaceful method of the ballot, if he can do it that way, if not by violence and with bloodshed. The bloodshed Victor Berger threatened when he advised the worker to, quote, be prepared to back up his ballot with his bullets. End quote. This is what socialists mean when they talk about the revolution. This is the method by which they hope to attain their goal, the cooperative commonwealth, in which, if the plan of socialism does not miscarry, there will be but one class, the working class, and all human beings will actually love one another so much that they will dwell together in peace and harmony ever after. It is a beautiful picture, this idea of the lion and the lamb lying down together. It is so enticing a promise that I might almost be willing to go through a wee bit of a revolution myself in order to attain it, if I could only believe that everything would work out in the way socialists predict that it will. It is right here, John, that I am compelled to part company with the socialists for good and all. I am just as thoroughly enamored of peace and harmony as Debs or Haywood or Hillquit. Not one of these gentlemen would welcome a world without social evils and social miseries more heartily than I. But when I sit down and start to figure out the problem logically, I find that the evidence against socialism accumulates rapidly. Between you and me, John, socialism could not do what it promises to accomplish, even if it had the chance. You don't see why it couldn't? Well, I'll show you. End of chapter 2